0: We all invite you right now into our homes, into our cars, as people are taking walks, listening in the earbuds. Lord, we receive you and we invite you. Speak to us. Jesus, touch us. We need you. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to be changed by you today. Amen. Amen. Everybody said amen. 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 If you want to give to the Gathering Place Church, you can text 84321. You can also go to gatheringplacechurch.org and give online, and you can also mail your check to our PO box 1078, Poway, California, 92074. All right. Well, this morning we're going to continue on a message that I only got halfway through last week, that was called Look to the Reward. It's in our Let Hope Arise series. I want to remind you, and those who've never heard this before, understanding the Lord is speaking to us. I was in my office. I I, I was in my chair with a blank piece of paper in front of me, and I said, Lord, what do you want to say to your people? He spoke to my heart, let hope arise. Right in the midst of this pandemic, right in the midst of the chaos in our nation and our world, the Lord, didn't that sound like him? You know, we all look at the natural and that's where we get our conclusion of what we should be, how we should be behaving, the way we should see things, our perspective. But God from heaven sees all. He not only sees the past and the present, he sees the future. And he said, let hope arise. That means you have to let it arise. There are all sorts of things that are pressing down on you in your soul and in your life, trying to suffocate your hope. But God is the God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says that. That God is the God of hope. And in that very chapter, a little ways down, it says, and the God of peace, that's the God of wholeness, the God of oneness, the God of shalom, the God of prosperity, the God of uh, a restful mind and a calm heart, the God of peace, listen to this, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. You see, God sees the future. The Bible says God sits upon his throne and laughs at the enemy's plans. So we need to get God's perspective. Amen? And so he said, let hope arise. The very next day, someone in our church who has a gift that's a prophetic gift, that means that uh, he hears and sees things that God is saying to him, he drew a picture and it was a picture of a woman with a sword in her hand and a shackle that was on her ankle that was snapped, and she's standing on a mountaintop, and he said, Lord, what is the name of this picture? And the Lord spoke to him the exact same phrase he had spoke to me 24 hours earlier, let hope arise. So we know the Lord is speaking to us. And so we're gonna continue in this series. Last week, I was teaching a message called Look to the Reward. But today, I am moving forward in that message, and I'm preaching a message called Givers of Hope. Givers of Hope. And so, I, wanna, I want us to jump back into this message, and we're going to continue on, all right? So, um, a little recap from last week. We all love rewards. What is the definition of a reward? Reward is compensation, pay, wages, salary, recompense for service. We all love raises. We all love bonuses here on earth. And you say, well, that's why would you, why would, how's that relate to the kingdom of God? That doesn't sound very spiritual to talk about rewards. But look at this scripture in Revelation 22 12. Again, this is a little review from last week. And then we're going to dive into a, a great chunk of scripture uh, that we didn't get to last week. But look at this scripture. This is the end of the book, the end of time, the end of the ages when it's all said and done, heaven and earth pass away. Here comes Jesus. He says this, And behold, I am coming quickly. That means when I come, it's going to be like that. I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his or her work. The Lord is coming back again. And it's not, he's not just coming back. He's coming with something in his hand. Your reward for everything you've done for him while you were living on earth and calling yourself a believer. He's going to reward you for that. Isn't that amazing? What a motivation. I've heard many people say over the time, hey man, I just, I'll just i be just happy to be there. Well, <laughs> I totally get that. But when you look into the Word of God and what it says all over the place about not just getting there, but what happens once you're there, there's going to be a reward ceremony. It is just like in the Olympics. That's where Paul draws his uh, terminology from. In the first century in, in Rome, when the athletes would compete, and then there is a an award ceremony, and they are awarded for their competing and, and their competition. There's two things in the Bible. It talks about awards and rewards. The award is the fact that you made it all the way, and you busted the rope at the end of your spiritual race. And Paul says you'll be awarded. They do it for a perishable perishable crown, he says, but you and I are doing it for imperishable crowns. That means the Lord's going to put a crown on your head and say, welcome. But then there's also rewards, and that is what he is recording and rewarding. Every penny you give, every prayer you pray, every time you show compassion to someone, every time you share the gospel with someone, he's recording it, and he's going to reward it. That's why you cannot be spiritually lazy, you cannot be lukewarm. You're wasting every day of your life that you're not about the kingdom of God. So, what should we be doing? What should you be doing while we wait for His return? Jesus made it very plain, and we saw this last week: investing in His kingdom. We walked, we looked at a whole parable about one person gave five, got five thousand um, pounds. Uh, a bag of 5,000 coins, one of 2,000, one of 1,000. Uh, two of them invested, one of them didn't. And it's about investing in the kingdom of God. You say, well, what does that look like? I'm going to give you a really uh, simple diagram here for you to grab a hold of, of what this looks like. Okay, here's the first question you want to ask about getting involved in something. Is it kingdom related? If it's not kingdom related, it shouldn't even be on your radar. If it's not, you set it aside. If it is, the next question you ask is, Lord, do you want me in this? You see, the Lord doesn't want you doing everything in his kingdom. That's a mistake. He's anointed you and appointed you. He's gifted you and called you and assigned you. Like, for instance, the Apostle Paul, the gospel, you know, Jesus told him, go preach the gospel to the whole world. So the Apostle Paul heads out to preach the gospel to the whole world. The first people he went to, which makes sense, is his own people group, the Jews. But the Jews kept rejecting the message, and Paul was getting so frustrated. You read it in the book of Acts. Many times he says, at one point he finally says that he's so frustrated, and I catch this. He says, I, I I, shake the dust off my sandals. That means I reject you. I shake the dust off my sandals, and I'm going to the Gentiles, like as though that was an insult to the Jews. So he goes to the Gentiles, and all of a sudden his ministry blows up. I mean, like in a good way, it just explodes. And he starts planting churches among the Gentiles all over the planet, all over the known world at that time. And then Peter ends up going to the Jews. And you read in the book of Galatians chapter two, and Paul says that God gave me a grace for the Gentiles, just like he gave Peter a grace for the Jews. You see, the reason that Paul could not penetrate the Jewish culture with the gospel because God had not called him there. Is it kingdom related? Yes. But it wasn't what God called Paul to do. God called Paul to the Gentiles, and he finally figured that out. How cool is that? That's why the first question is, is this kingdom related? Secondly, Lord, do you want me in this? If he says no, you set it aside. If he says yes, then you say, what do you want me to do? That's how you... Uh, intelligently, strategically invest in the kingdom of God. So, what kind of things does the Lord want us doing? Once you say, "What do you want me to do in this situation?" Okay, now here's where we're going to hit the beef. <laughs> today is where we're going to hit. Here's where we're going uh, to hit the main message for today. We looked at a parable where Jesus gave 5,000 coins to one, 2,000 coins to another, and 1,000 coins to another. And he talked about investing in this kingdom. But you know, he didn't stop talking. We usually stop right there. Jesus kept talking, and he tells us exactly what that looks like. I pray you grab a hold of this today. Okay, here we go. He's still talking. When the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of God, appears... In his majestic glory. This is Jesus returning to the earth, his second coming. He says, When I appear in my majestic glory with all his angels by his side, isn't that gonna be amazing? Isn't that gonna be amazing? And he will take his seat on his throne of splendor. This is Jesus talking about himself in the future at his second coming. Now look, you can call Jesus crazy if you want, you're like, ah. He, he was just crazy. And people called him crazy, by the way. They didn't call him demon possessed. Like, this is crazy talk. Or you can even say he didn't even exist, as some people say. Or some say he's just a historical figure. Look, Jesus is talking about himself in the future when he comes back. So either he was a liar because he knew it wasn't true, and he's just making this up, which is a pretty grandiose thing to make up. Or he was a lunatic, meaning he really believed this about himself. Or... He is Lord, that this is true. You, you only have three true choices. Jesus is either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. There are no other, no other options. I believe he's Lord. I believe he knows what he's talking about, and I believe this is going to happen. And I believe you and I are going to be there. So let's, again, see what he says is coming. Ready? When the Son of Man appears in His majestic glory with all of His angels by His side, He will take His seat on His throne of splendor. And all the nations will be gathered together before Him. Now the Apostle John saw this in the future. When they put John on the island of Patmos, which is a penal colony, because they couldn't kill John because he just wouldn't die. They kept trying to. They threw him out onto this island and just wanted him to die out there. And the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. And John said, I saw him in his resurrected state. John knew Jesus when he was the sweet little, you know, uh, savior on a donkey, right? Just walking through Jerusalem with him, traveling with him in his human form. But now he saw him as the resurrected Christ. He said his eyes were like fire. And he he was like, his hair was like white as wool. I mean, his, his voice was like many waterfalls. He was overwhelmed when he saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus came the first time as the lamb, and the second time he's coming as a lion. And John said, I fell down in front of him as though I was dead. And Jesus spoke to him and had him write the book of Revelation. It was all about the future. And he says, and like a shepherd who, who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. That's you and me. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king, speaking of himself, will turn to those on his right and say you have a special place in my father's heart come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from the from before the foundation of the world for when you saw me hungry you fed me here we go and when you found me thirsty you gave me something to drink and when i had no place to stay You invited me in, and when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me, and when I was in prison, you visited me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you food or something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and invite you? in? When did this happen? When, when did we see you poorly clothed and cover you? When did we see you sick and tenderly care for you? or or Or, or in prison and visit you? Well, we don't remember doing that to you. And the king will answer them and say, did you, don't you know? Don't you know? He's speaking to us now. Don't you know? When you cared for one of the least important of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. Then to those on his left, the king will say, leave me. For you are under the curse of eternal fire that has been destined for the devil and all of his demons. For when you saw me hungry, you refused to give me food, and when you saw me thirsty, you refused to give me something to drink. I had no place to stay, and you refused to take me into, as your guest. When you saw me poorly clothed, you clothed your heart, you closed your hearts and would not, you closed your hearts and would not cover me. When you saw that I was sick, you didn't lift a finger to help me, and when I was in prison, you never came to visit me. Ron Farnsworth: you've been going to people, visiting them in prison for years now. And as you've been doing that, you've been doing it to Jesus. And your rewards are going to be great in heaven, brother. Ron, over, she's our prison minister at the Gathering Place Church. I just want to give you a shout out. But my shout out didn't really matter. It's his shout out that matters, Ron. And I know you know that. And then those on his left will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and not give you food and something to drink? Or when did we see you homeless or poorly clothed? When did we see you sick and not help you or in prison and not visit you? Then he will answer them, don't you know? Don't you know when you refuse to help one of the least important of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you refuse to help and honor me. And they would depart from his presence and go into eternal punishment. But the godly and beloved sheep will enter into eternal bliss. Now, you can interpret this as qualifiers to get into heaven. These are not, this is not qualifying you to get into heaven. It's not a qualifier, but an indicator that you are a true believer that you are truly a sheep of Jesus. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. If you're hearing the voice of Jesus, I'll tell you what he's telling you. In some way, shape, or form, he is telling you to be a giver of hope. The way that we let hope arise in the earth isn't just that the Lord causes hope to arise for you, it is that you and I become givers of hope in His name to the hopeless of the world. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2 says, says that, uh, Arise, church! Arise, Christians! Arise, those who call yourself followers of Jesus. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness upon the earth grows darkness among the people. But the Lord's glory has risen upon you. As the Lord rises upon you, as he gives you hope, you and I then become dispensers of hope. We become givers of hope to the hopeless. And Jesus is saying, here is the proof in the pudding. Here's how I will know if you were truly one of my sheep. Are you taking care of those in need? Because that's what I'd be doing if I was on the earth. And I'm in you, and I'm on you, and so I'm talking to you as my sheep, and I know my sheep hear my voice. Help that person. Give to that person. Pray for that person. Share about me to that person. You see, the ones who are doing that are the true sheep of Jesus, the true church. Hello. That's some good stuff, isn't it? So you want to be a giver of hope. think about our boys, Josiah and Sam. Sorry to say this, boys. I'm going to say it plainly. You had no hope. These two boys, our sons, were hopeless. They were both in situations and conditions where they would have died. There were no resources in, in their area to help them. and the physical condition they had, they could not help them. And I'm going to tell you something. This isn't about me. This is about my wife and Jesus, because I was like, huh, what, what are we doing? (laughs) Jesus appeared to my wife in a dream when she was a missionary in the Philippines, and and he, I won't tell you the whole dream, because I want to take the time to do it, but in the dream, it was very clear that that he asked her to adopt two special needs children. I knew nothing about it, (laughs) okay, okay until after we get married. And all of a sudden, there's these adoption pamphlets around the house. I'm like, what, what's this? Oh, no, I don't know. I'm just looking into, you know, adoption. I'm like, huh, oh, what? What? And she and Jesus moved me all the way from just the concept of adoption to adopting special needs children. I remember one time we were sitting in a a, a meeting. Uh, somebody talking to us about adoption and there's a group of people and everybody's, when you don't have your own children, I I totally understand that the children you want are healthy and beautiful, and you want to have that child. I totally get it. My wife and Jesus were after a couple special needs children. They were called unwanted. Uh, and after they were all done looking at pictures of the most beautiful, healthy children, my wife said, um, "Do you have any information on uh, special needs children?" And the lady next was one. <laughs> Who would want want one of those? And my wife said, actually, I do. I mean, the shame on that woman's face just looking down like this. My wife was a giver of hope. And guess what? She sucked me into it. She drew me into it. She, She expanded me into a giver of hope. See, this is my point. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you're going to hear his voice. And then you're going to compel others by your example to become givers of hope as well. And now I'm in her jet stream and I get the joy of these two sons of mine. They bring so much joy to our family. And now watch this. Now my son, after I scared the hell out of him, and last Sunday's message about the return of the Lord. No, his eyes were open to what's happening. What's coming. The Lord's coming back. And what we're supposed to be doing before he comes back, we're supposed to be helping others. And after the message, my son Josiah said, Dad, I have all these skateboards. And my desire, because he loves to skate, even though he's, he's, uh, he's handicapped from the waist down, he is so awesome on a skateboard and in a, wheel, uh, a skate wheelchair. And he goes down these ramps, he goes skateboarding, the skate parks and stuff. He even won a, a skateboard chair uh, because uh, he's just he's just awesome. And he said, I want to help others like me. I want to help those who are helpless. I want to help the underprivileged. So he took one of his skateboard, took his own money, went online, found some wheels for it, and uh, he's putting the wheels on, and then he needed some grip tape. So we went down to a skateboard shop in Carmel Mountain. We went in there and Josiah brings it in. We said, hey, by the way, we need some grip tape on this, but here's what my son, who is handicapped, is doing. He wants to give this board away to somebody who's underprivileged or helpless. Or doesn't have the money to buy a board. So they donated it. You see, his desire to be a giver of hope to a boy who can't afford a skateboard caused that skateboard company, what's it called? Waveline? Waveline, shout out to Waveline, um, motivated them to give, to be givers of hope as well. This is how it works. The church is supposed to be shining so bright right now. In this dark world, we are to be givers of hope. We need more people like my wife and like my son in the world today. Every day you live is an opportunity to help someone. Every day you're living is an opportunity to help someone, to love, give, praise, serve, share your faith in Jesus. Every time you do, you're honoring Jesus, and you're storing up treasures in heaven. Look what Jesus says about this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That means you can store up treasures in heaven. This isn't poetry. This is is fact. You store up treasures in heaven. Jesus says, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This works two ways. What you truly love, what you truly desire, is revealed by where your money goes. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be found. You can look at somebody's checkbook and find out where their true passions are. The other, the reverse is true too. If you begin investing, even out of obedience to Jesus, to the poor, to the needy, to the suffering, to other people... As soon as you start giving your money, your time, your talents, using your skills to help others, your heart follows. And all of a sudden, you get caught up in it and you realize this is what life is all about. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it is. The word blessed means happy. It makes you happier. You become a more joyful person when you give out than when it's all about me, 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 me. How can the United States of America be in the most depressed country in the world when we are the richest? And how can I go to the third world countries like in Josiah's uh, country in Ethiopia, the poorest people I've ever been among and the happiest people I've ever met. And I've been all over the world and I've never met more happier people, more happier people, happier people than Josiah's people in Ethiopia. And you know what they do? When, they, when, when, when a uh, child is old enough to, to eat food by itself, As soon as it takes like a roll or something and it's ready to eat it, the mom or the dad will grab the child, the baby's hand, the child's hand, the infant's hand, the toddler's hand, and and break the bread and have the child give half of the bread to the person next to them. That's how they raise them. You have to come to America to say, me, 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 mine. Sorry, we're consumers. Over there, it's... It's, it's community. I'm telling you, it was beautiful. It was like, to me, it was like this is what the Christian community is supposed to look like. That we give out. Do not store up your treasures on earth, but in heaven. And then uh, Peter says this. Or James says this command those who are rich in this present world. Now, before you disqualify yourself from the scriptures, you say, Well, I'm not rich. Well, maybe not compare it to your neighbor or somebody living on the other side of town. But when you and I compare ourselves to the rest of most of the, about 95% of the rest of the world, the third world, when you and I compare, because I've been over there, you don't know it until you go, man. Until you and I realize there, I've visited places they don't even know computers have been invented. They have no cell phones. They don't even know what they are. They, they don't have television. They don't have cell phones. They don't have running water. One out of every five child dies from a lack of access to water or clean water. You go to these places and you realize people are poor. And there's no government net for them. There's no social security. There's no there, There's no welfare. There's no unemployment. There's nothing. The little bit you and I have goes so far in these third world countries. What you spend on Starbucks can literally feed a family for a month, for a year. What you and I spend on the movies literally can put a child through education. It is crazy how far a dollar goes in these countries. And you've been a part of it. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or guilty. I'm just trying to bring a reality to how much you can make a difference with a little that you have right now. And by giving to the Gathering Place Church, you've actually been a part of a lot of this. So you have already been making a difference as you give your your offerings to our church and to the other churches and other ministries as well. But look what looks so so you don't disqualify yourself from this passage when we say the rich because you are rich compared to the rest of the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put, what we know now, right? Wealth is uncertain. comes and goes. Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So you're allowed to enjoy it. Command them to do good. That's what I'm doing today, commanding you in Jesus' name. Do good. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. This age is going to be over, and then we're into the next age. And you store up a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So you say, well, where do I start? Start with who is right in front of you. Hey, Sam, I need you to run to my office and get a book, right? And it's called Faith, right? It's on my desk, called Faith. And, and the author is Roxanne Mazzucato. Start with who is right in front of you. Look at what Mother Teresa, a quote from Mother Teresa, I've got a few from her because, you know, I mean, who else are we going to talk about when we're talking about taking care of the needy, right? She says, if I look at the mass I will never act. It's like, oh my gosh, I mean, come on, the world is, a, how am I going to help? When I look to the mass, I will not act. But if I look at the one, I will. You know, um, on our on our uh, Facebook page, on our Facebook, Gathering Place Facebook, we like to give shout outs to people in our church that are doing the stuff. And uh, I also need my glasses, so those will be somewhere. Someone want to find my glasses for me, i appreciate it. I can use hopes. So you guys have seen me sporting my wife's glasses this morning. And so we like to give shout outs to people in our church who are doing the stuff. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about Shelly Capper smith Those of you who know her, love her. And, yeah, I mean, she's easy to love. Shelly has been suffering with chronic illness for years and years and years. Like really hard chronic illness. And yet, she is one of the most giving, serving human beings I've ever met in my life. My wife even said this week, if it wasn't for Shelly, there'd be no GPC. She is the benevolent arm of our church. She is the heart to the poor, and to the needy. Not only in our church, not only in our city, but all over the world. And she didn't know we were going to do this on Facebook. We just And, and, and she and I spoke afterwards, and she said she was really discouraged. She was in a moment of discouragement feeling like she had not made a difference. Because with Shelly, I'm talking about doing, uh, helping somebody who's right in front of you. With Shelly, it was a one phone call here to this person to encourage them. Uh, giving at the food bank uh, on this day and praying for this person and taking a walk with that person and just little tiny acts of kindness, little acts of love. This person, that person, this person, that person. All the time she is suffering physically herself but she would not allow her physical ailment to stop her from helping others. She is a massive giver of hope to people. Well, she felt like she had not really made a difference. And when we simply gave her a shout out on Facebook, the string under her picture, it just went on and on and on. People from all over the place talking about how Shelly has made a difference and their life, and it broke her. She was like, We talked on the phone, and she said, My gosh, that was a godsend, you know how encouraging. But here's the thing: you see, when you do just a little bit, you encourage one person, you do one, you have one skateboard away, you do one little thing, you think, Well, that didn't do much. Well, look, she's been doing it now for sorry, Shelly, decades. And it accumulates, and then at the end of your life, that becomes Your legacy. It's not just one big bam! Look, I preached to to a stadium or I gave a ton of money to that one person or that one ministry one time. No, it's the little tiny things. Jesus said, They that are little, a faithful and little, will be made ruler over much. So shout out to you, Shelley. You're an example to us all. Look what the Bible says about this. Remember that the Lord will give a reward to everyone for doing good. Doing good. But I want to say this. Um, mm, I think I'm running out of time. So, I got to skip that. I'm going to jump. It's good. Yeah, amen. I got a chunk here that I'm going to skip over because I'm running out of time and I want to get to something else that is more important. In that parable this is an amazing thing Jesus did you notice he did not say that we did it for him that when you give to those who are in need when you give when you're a giver of hope when you give hope to the hopeless Jesus did not say you did it for me he said what you did it to me you say well I, I, I don't understand I, not really. I mean, he didn't really mean that, did he? Well, look, there was a time when, we'll just take the negative of this. The apostle Paul, his name was Saul, he was killing Christians. And then Jesus, damn, appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, well, how was Saul persecuting Jesus? Jesus was living in heaven. Because Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. I have a friend who I went to a dinner party and I was invited. And he was friends with this other a couple. And they had nothing in common. But they were close. They were tight. And I thought, the longer I was checking these two out, I was like, how do they, what do they have in common? They don't have anything in common. I mean, how, how are they friends? This is really interesting to me. And then I, I, I heard the story. While this couple was out of town, their little girl, their daughter, uh, was in danger. She was going to be hurt. And my friend intervened and saved their daughter from something horrendous. And they have been connected ever since. Now, do you think that couple felt like my friend had done it to them? You better believe it. Kind of like the time when Hope was at the grocery store, and Elliot, who was about two and a half or three years old, was in the cart, and he was he was acting up and misbehaving. And this lady, this elderly lady, slapped Elliot's hand and said, stop that. And my wife turned out and said, what? Just happened here? I <laughs> mean, Woo! She crossed the line. Do you feel like Hope felt like that lady did it to her? You better believe it because that's my child. I remember when the dolls, a family in our church just recently, that their child was in NICU. And one of our uh, youth pastors is uh, works uh, sometimes in the NICU at Radies, And when she saw the name on the chart that it was the dolls' child, she swapped shifts with somebody to take care of their child because the Gronin Dolls could not. Do you feel like the Gronin Dolls felt like Rachel, Riley, did that to them? Yes. To them, because that's family. This is Larkin. Pardon me? Rachel Larkin. Oh, Larkin! Sorry, Chris Larkin. You guys got married a long time ago. You see, here's the thing. They've been in our church since they were children. They were in the children's church, and Chris saw Rachel, and he said, Uh-huh. And uh, he was like 11 and she was nine. They waited. he waited for her all the way until they were old enough and he married her. So in my mind, I've known her since she was born. But now she is Rachel Larkin. So covered that up really nice and sweet. Okay. So Rachel Larkin worked in the NICU because <laughs> they're family. They're family. Jesus is saying, that when you touch one of his children you've touched him when you've done it to one of his children you've done it to him because we're his family we're his brothers and sisters we're sons and daughters and when you do not do it then you have not done it to one of them so Roxanne Mazzucato just wrote her first book shout out to Roxanne this is Faith the Key to the Prophetic I just got done reading it you can get it on Amazon Faith Key to the Prophetic by Roxanne Mazzucato and um this is uh, a really good book, really inspiring. But here's a great story about what I'm talking about. Listen to what she says. For me, Roxanne says, I have been a caregiver for my mom for 13 years. My responsibilities included dispersing medication, cooking four meals a day, laundry, bookkeeping, doctors' apartments, ba- bathing. And mind you that she's you know married, as well to Kevin, and so while she's married, she's having to spend so much time taking care of her mom. Then there's the small problem of dealing with my own personal physical ailments. It was very tempting to feel sorry for myself. Yes, I can give myself one pretty nice party, a pity party, that is. Instead of doing these non-spiritual things in my own strength, I started letting Jesus speak to me through this time. He would share how much he enjoyed spending time with me as I worked through the day. And how the things I do when I partnered with him are done with grace and actually has eternal value. My heart was being touched by God. I started to change the way I did everything. And I began to carry my head high as I felt so valued by the Lord. I wasn't seeing my life as waste, being wasted any longer, but seeing the honor it was to serve my mom. Some of you may be in that situation. You may not find it spiritual. You may find that you could be doing other things. You're doing it to Jesus. She says, Jesus and I were washing her feet. When I recognized him in me, moving through me, even in the middle of doing what I thought were uh, mundane things, I was actually moving in the miraculous, operating out of the new creation that Jesus and I had become. Well, I want to say, Roxanne, you and Jesus weren't doing it to your mom. You. We're serving Jesus when you were serving your mom. So I want to say, do what you can with what you have where you are right now. That's what Roxanne did. Do what you can with what you have where you are right now. Look at Mother Teresa says, again, another quote from her, and we're going to come to a close. Since we cannot see Christ, we cannot express our love to him. But we do see our neighbor, and we can do for him what we would do if Christ were visible. At the Gathering Place Church, remember I told you how you have already been a part of making a difference in the world by giving to our church. At the Gathering Place Church, we have been doing little things all over the world for 25 years. We call it sharing and showing the gospel. We don't just share the gospel. We show the gospel. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, I just got a report from uh, one of my friends who he and I, we were in Northern India reaching an unreached people group. That means people who have never heard from Jesus before. And after that people group was suffi- sufficiently reached, uh, he and I, Joe Rhodes and I, we said, what do we want to do next? And look, our, our resources are limited, but you've got to start where you are with what you have right now. And Joe and I said, Let's go after another unreached people group. It's just a dream. It's just, I mean, where do you start? And so we decided to go after the RCA Romo people in Ethiopia. That was in 2010. And Joe ended up taking it and running with it. And I became, the Gathering Place became a support to Joe as he became the lead on this. And he just gave us a report last week. And here's what he said. Um, In 2010, we began this journey. We dreamed of making a kingdom impact among the R.C. Romo, and God has been faithful to that vision. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because you were a part of it. Every dime you gave to the Gathering Place Church, part of that went to the R.C. people to reach this unreached people group. Millions of them. And look what the report is. Nearly 10,000 people. These are Muslims and Hindus, primarily Muslims, over 10,000 people have come to faith in Christ. And now they're spreading all throughout the country. 1,000 simple churches have been formed. And my daughter Bella, who's leading worship, she's going to come back here in a minute and close us out with a worship song. She planted one of these churches. We went to, uh, we went to uh, Ethiopia, and we went behind, huh? India. India. We were in India. Oh, well, that's different. She planted a simple church in India. <laughs> Hey, they need them everywhere. And uh, (laughs) Yes, we went to India too. And she planted one of these simple churches. That means you just go into someone's home, you lead the person to the Lord, then you send them out into their village, they lead people to Christ, they bring them back in, then you teach them how to lead people to Christ, They come back in and then we come back home and then they multiply those churches. And over 1,000 simple churches in Ethiopia... Have been formed. More than 60,000 people moved from devastating poverty through savings groups. And this is where we taught the villagers how to collect their money and then give loans to one another so you could buy chickens and the cows and then they return the money to that village. They've never even thought of this before. These people have been devastating poverty for, I mean, hundreds of years. All they've known is poverty. And we went in there and we taught them that Jesus cares about every aspect of your life. And we trained them how to uh, come up out of poverty. And over 60,000 people moved from devastating poverty through savings Group. Over 60 men and women benefited from vocational training and small business opportunities. And then Joe goes on to say this. As I write these words, I marvel at all God has done. Please take a moment and enjoy the reality you played as a critical role in this mission. A special thanks to the Gathering Place Church. You guys stuck with us from the very beginning when we were still trying to figure things out. We never would have gone this far without your church and your personal encouragement. You and I must be about the Father's business. You must decide today that you're not just going to live for yourself and you're not just going to live to find hope for yourself. If you become a giver of hope, you're going to find God is going to begin to increase your hope. He's going to increase your resources. He's going to increase your faith, your wisdom. As you decide, I'm going to be about blessing others, I'm telling you, all of heaven flows through you, and you become a greater blessing. And then that day comes, just like that. It could be today. And there you are. There you are at the reward ceremony. You. And look what Paul writes about this. We'll close with this scripture. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives that builder, builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. In other words, everything you've done, if it was all for yourself, there's also all some people think you're wonderful, rather than for Jesus and to Jesus, you get no reward for it. You see. The builder will be saved, but someone like barely escaping through the wall of flames. That the, you don't want that to be you. You don't want to barely make it into heaven. Look, in Christ... Heaven is your home, but you want to show up having served Jesus by serving others. And then Jesus will give you rewards for service. All right? Let me pray for you. I know that this has probably struck many hearts today. I hope it did. Because it will bless you now and it will bless you then. Lord, I pray for everyone who just heard this message. I pray that these words would sink deep into their hearts. And every time they feel selfishness, every time they are navel-gazing, every time they think about me, 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 they'll remember this message and say, I need to be a giver of hope. Because as I bless others, I'm blessing Jesus himself. Let your church shine in this hour, Lord. May the church be the greatest dispenser of hope in the world today. Amen. Bella, you close us in worship? Absolutely. Amen.